Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is my first returning guest, Dr. Marie Witt, doctor of physical therapy. Dr. Witt was also on episode 23, all about cross training, such a fantastic conversation. And I just like talking to her. So it was really easy to have her back on for this episode, talking all about how your foot works when you run and about shoes and how those things are related and talk about pronation. And then because she is a physical therapist, she actually gives us this really cool exercise to do at home to help strengthen and work your midfoot in a running specific way. It is super cool. As soon as we finished recording, I actually went and tried this and it is, it'll get (laughs) you. It is beneficial. Absolutely. So with all that being said, here we go. Dr. Marie Witt, welcome back to the show. Hello. I am so happy to be here. I've been wanting to do another episode with you for like weeks and weeks and weeks now. So I'm so happy to be back. It's going to be great. Oh, this is going to be, and it's going to be such a fun topic, complex yet important topic today. We are combining two very cool related topics. We're talking about feet and we're talking about shoes and kind of how those things fit together and how and why different types of shoes are important and how and why your foot moves in certain ways. So we, you've already introduced yourself on our previous episode about cross training. So let's just dive right in. Let's just start right off at the top. You are Dr. Physical Therapy. You know how the human body works. So let's talk a little bit about how the foot works when we run. What is happening in our feet? (laughs) Okay. First off, we could have like three separate podcast episodes just on feet. Okay, guys. So all you listeners out there, feet are complicated. Like we don't actually understand 100% how feet work. There are so many moving parts. So I'm going to end up getting into the weeds a little bit. So stick with me and I'll try to very, I'll simplify a very complicated topic. So diving in, the first question you gave me, Elizabeth, was what is pronation? So pronation gets a bad rap because we have to correct it. We have to prevent it. No, no, no. Pronation is normal. So you need a certain amount of pronation to walk, move, run, whatever you are doing, right? But let's dive into our anatomy and kinesiology 101. So pronation is a entire foot motion. It is not isolated just to the ankle joint. So pronation is actually a lump sum of three different motions that happen throughout the foot. And I'm going to explain all of these. So if we have pronation, we have an equal and opposite, which is supination. And each of those have three separate parts they are actually made up of. So pronation is dorsiflexion, eversion, and abduction. And the equal to opposite of this is supination, which includes plantar flexion, inversion, and adduction. I know a bunch of crazy PT words, but bear with me here, okay? <laughs> All of these are normal and absolutely necessary motions. So let's, let's walk through what these are. So dorsiflexion, part of pronation, is when you bring your toes towards the sky, right? That is the end range of dorsiflexion. 
If you point your toes like a ballerina, that is plantar flexion. Eversion, you are trying to scoop your foot outward. Inversion, you're trying to scoop your foot inward. Abduction versus adduction. Abduction or abduction um, is you're walking like a duck. Adduction or adduction is pigeon toed. Okay, why do you care about all this? Because these are the itty bitty nitty gritty breakdowns of walking and running. Because when you take a step, heel to toe, that heel part is pronation. You are in the end range of all those fancy words I just said. When you toe, so heel to toe, you're on the toe part of walking, that is supination, okay? Again, normal and healthy. What you need to take away from here is that pronation, that end range, is an inherently stable position of your ankle. Supination, your ankle is more flexible because there is a third party here. You have your midfoot. So you need to remember ankle, midfoot. How do I know what the difference is here? So ankle or heel, bear with me guys, I know it's a lot. You have your calcaneus, that really bony knob, the bottom of your foot. Think of it this way, if you step on a Lego with your heel, it's not the end of the world, but it hurts. If you step on the Lego with your midfoot, holy hell, that sucks, okay? That's your midfoot. So your midfoot is also a shape shifter. So it can also become more flexible or more stable. Why do you care as a runner? We just talked about how pronation, stable at the ankle, you are flexible at the midfoot. The reason you care as a runner is because these two positions allow for optimal load absorption, AKA you hit the ground with your foot. You take a step. Supination, where that ankle is inherently more flexible, then midfoot is more rigid, you care as a runner because that is your push off, that is your toe off, that is what generates power for your next step. So in order to run, you need both of these. You need to absorb load and you need to generate power to go through the entire gait cycle. Whew. There you have it. You made it. Bravo. Whew. That was, I think, one of the clearest, most concise run-throughs of an extraordinarily complex topic. We're going to um, hope so, man. Yeah. <laughs> so we typically think of ourselves as, oh, I'm a pronator. Or, oh, I'm a supinator. And that's a a vast oversimplification and probably not a very helpful label for you to put on yourself because you're actually losing a lot of the nuance about what your foot's actually doing. Oversupination, overpronation, correcting the if, when, how, when does it become a problem that needs to be addressed either through exercises or through a special kind of footwear? Ooh, okay. Are you ready? We're gonna get a little into the weeds again here. Okay. So we need to think about not just, I need correction. It's what do I need to correct? Right? Because we just stated pronation and supination are natural and healthy, but our feet are so complicated. Did I mention feet are complicated? Because they're so complicated and there are so many moving parts 
And because there's so many parts, it's easy for one part or one motion to go too far on that end of the spectrum. And that's what we're trying to correct. So a little bit into the weeds with that pronation, we're not trying to correct pronation itself. We are trying to correct one of the thirds of pronation. And typically it's at that midfoot. So let's dive into the stability shoe part. Who needs a sh corrective shoe? Typically over pronators. And I know, I know you're like, Dr. Witt, you literally just spent half an hour describing how pronation is inherently stable. So why do I need to correct something that's stable? Okay. Because we're going to go back to pronation is not just the ankle, but it's the midfoot. And when one is stable, the other is flexible and vice versa. So let's give you a practical example of what this actually looks like. Meet my right foot. Okay. I have flat feet. My right foot is worse than my left foot. And you can kind of see it when I run, but more importantly, you can see it when I'm standing. My right arch, just, it just collapses a lot more than my left one. My foot's not broken. It's still a foot. It still goes through pronation and supination. Just mine looks different than yours, right? And that motion, that missing piece, not missing piece, but that piece goes too far to the spectrum like we talked about. So I need a little extra help staying in my lane. That foot needs that orthotic that I have. And that orthotic kind of acts as a brace. So my foot obviously sits on top of the orthotic. And the orthotic says, you shall not pass. You shall not spill over to the inside because I pronate. Or more fancy words, that is a valgus midfoot posture. That collapse, I don't like the word collapse, but you can't see a visual over a podcast. But that arch looks collapsed. So I want to kind of go on a tangent about overcorrection here. So this is my personal right foot story. Um, I have that orthotic I just told you about. And I take more orthotics into the running store and I say, hey guys, I need new shoes, but I have an orthotic, okay? And they go, oh, you're a pronator. And they give me this big honking Hoka motion control shoe. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That is, it's not gonna work. It's gonna end really poorly. Try it anyway, you're gonna love it. Okay, I put the orthotics in, put the shoe on, I hop on the treadmill and my gait looks terrible. It looks awful, okay? The reason why is because we have gone way too far to the other end of the spectrum. We have overcorrected a problem. So now I don't look sloppy. I'm just, I'm so uncoordinated because the orthotic is the big dog. That big dog should be running the shoe or running the show. I don't need a super duper stability shoe on top of that. I need a very mild stability shoe that complements the correction that my orthotic is already providing. Does that make sense, Elizabeth? Absolutely. And I think it's important to note, as you've stated, that it is appropriate for some people to have specialized footwear, to have custom orthotics if they need that kind of correction. Maybe not the insoles that you would purchase in a running shoe store, but if you have a problem or I want to say a problem, if you have an issue that needs to be slightly corrected, it's best to go to a professional, a sports podiatrist, somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to running and feet, not just feet in general, mm -hmm. to get the correct level of correction for you. Because the overcorrection thing, I feel like that happens a lot. And I know, 
I feel like it happens a lot because it happened to me. So I obviously have a, like, well, if it happened to me, Um, especially for newer runners who tend to have general weakness in some of the key lower leg strength that can result in uh, shin splints, in some ankle soreness, in some general kind of uh, malaise of the lower legs. They go to a running shoe store, they say, my knees hurt when I run and I have shin splints. And the running shoe store says, you must need a stability shoe. (gasps) All that runner needs maybe is to strengthen their muscles and the problems would go away. Sometimes- in some cases, overpronation, oversupination can be corrected with proper strength training, with proper exercises. Not always, but sometimes. Yes. So like in my case, my right foot, that's just how it's made. Like it has been that way since I can remember, right? So um, I mean, I guess I could try to find some super duper foot exercises to strengthen that arch. I believe it is possible, but sometimes you have to look up the chain, kind of like what you're saying, Elizabeth. So if you hop into who needs corrective strength training, the the best example I could give was two different types of very common running gates. So a heel whip runner and an egg beater runner, right? So if you're unfamiliar with these, I know I was like, what's the other one? It says egg beater. I'm like, okay, that's a way to describe it. So the heel whip is where you're running, 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 and you start whacking the inside of your calf with your opposite heel. So you end up with these mud stripes. That's the best way I can describe mud stripes on the inside of that opposite calf. Okay. The other one is an egg beater. You are, uh, you're running, that foot's coming up off the ground. It swings out to the side and comes back around. Okay. It honestly just Google or YouTube egg beater runner and it'll make sense. Oh, so these are examples of running gates that require strength training and neuromotor reprogramming rather than shoes. And I'll tell you why. So both of these could be brought on, egg beater and heel whip could be brought on by mechanics in the ankle, uh, foot or hip or specific weak glute muscles. So For example, heel whip is brought on by weak internal rotator glute muscles. We're getting into the weeds here. And the egg beater is brought on by weak external rotator glute muscles. You got a lot of butt muscles, let me tell you. Okay. So, and when they aren't working, you end up with crazy weird running patterns. So two easy corrective exercises you can easily YouTube. One is a banded lateral walk. So you have a, a loop around your legs. You're walking sideways. Look it up. You'll figure it out. Um, Then there's a banded glute medius walk. So glute, G-L-U-T-E, medius, M-E-D-I-U-S. You'll find it on YouTube. So strength is good, but it's not everything. And if you've been running funky, because let's just admit it, if you're an egg beater runner, that's just weird. You have to relearn to run. I'm sorry, honey. Try like skip A or skip B. Like those are more dynamic warm-ups, but then progress into skipping tall. I want you to skip like a five-year-old again. Just get as tall as you can or skip as long, cover as much distance as you can. And what this does is this reteaches how to drive your knee up and how to get your foot back underneath your center of mass. What that means is you can't have your leg winging out to the side or, or hitting the inside of your calf. Your foot must come down where it needs to come down. So not only strength, but also reprogramming how to run. 
if you've ever tried to consciously change your running gait, you'll understand how incredibly challenging it is to just think differently. If you if you know you're an egg beater runner or you're a heel whip runner and you've consciously tried to prevent that from happening, you've probably found it's basically impossible to think your way out of those gate issues. Mm-hmm. So we have to basically teach our brains to create the new pathway so it happens automatically because it, we can't consciously change those types of movements. Mm-hmm. And it's just, why do more work than you have to? If you can jumpstart the car with a quick drill, then do that rather than overthinking it. Definitely. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, 100%. (laughs) So let's talk a bit about the different types of shoes. We have to remember that not only were we talking about different types of technology, but also that as technology changes, certain things fall in and out of fashion, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Currently, very maximalist style shoes seem to be quite fashionable. Uh, 15 years ago, barefoot running was all the craze. I know. So, I mean, just to say, I mean, just because there are certain types of shoes that are on more prevalent for sale now, doesn't necessarily mean that you should follow the fad or follow the fashion. You should still find the shoe that works best for your specific foot. Mm -hmm. So of the three main types of running shoes, we have neutral, we have stability, and then we have motion control. Do you just want to explain a bit about the difference between those three general types? And ro- we're talking about road running shoes uh, of those two, mm-hmm. three different types of shoes. Mm-hmm. So this is actually where I'll need your help because when I was reflecting on everything I've learned about running shoes and doing some Google searches, looking through my notes, stability and motion control kept lumping together. So I'll need some help defining that one. But the neutral shoe, at least, you know, that whole, I said, half hour explanation I gave of pronation and supination. Okay. Your foot, if your foot moves well already, then a neutral shoe is fine. The neutral shoe is not inherently trying to change anything. Think of it more as a support crew. It's adding cushion protection. It's helping you um, absorb load, increase energy return, maybe give a little extra traction if you're on trails or something like that. So your, your shoe, that neutral shoe is just an extension of your foot your foot, but better. Okay. So what I found from stability and motion control shoes is those are your corrective shoes. Okay. What we talked about where you're that one motion, that pronation might be going too far to one end or that supination might be going too far to the other end. I liked this one definition. It said motion control shoes are intended to limit excessive foot motions by decreasing the extent of pronation in this case. They're designed with a medial support or a support on the inside of the shoe that helps improve stability of the foot and reduce the amount of pronation. For supinators, there would be a lateral support or a support more on the outside of the shoe to prevent you from rolling that far outwards. If you think about spraining your ankle, it would prevent you from doing that. So, but what have you found, Elizabeth, about stability versus motion control? So it's my understanding that's basically just the spectrum, the degree to which the correction or the corrective mechanisms are in place. So a stability, Mm -hmm. you think about stability as like a a walking boot where a motion control might be like a plaster cast, right? Like in the the degree to which it uh, inhibits or corrects movement. And the thing is when you're creating a running shoe, when you need to put more of that guardrail style stuff in your shoe, you Mm -hmm. tend to have to make it a heavier shoe. So 
stability and motion control shoes tend to have and require more material, which then makes them a heavier shoe. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, beyond the danger of overcorrecting, I think it just depends on what your specific need is. I don't think we can look at any one person and say, well, if you have these five characteristics, you must be in a motion control shoe because there are still a bunch of mm -hmm. other factors to consider when we're talking about the running shoe that is going to be best for you. Other things like cushion, heel drop, stack height, uh, upper material, mm -hmm. the general width, how the toe box fits you, the kind of brand that you prefer to wear, that sort of thing. So when people ever, you know, they ask me for shoe recommendations, I feel I, this is why I'm never going to get a shoe sponsorship because I say, well, it honestly really yeah. depends on like, it does. You know? it's, oh my gosh, it totally does. So people say, oh, you need this shoe. And I'm thinking you should, you need to go try that shoe on, but that could be a terrible shoe for you. That's why it's important to go and try a bunch of shoes on when you're trying to pick out the right shoe for you. Case in point, I got new shoes, I think beginning of this spring, I swear to God, I think I spent 45 minutes to an hour in the running store with just this one salesperson trying on at least 10 pairs of shoes and running them on the treadmill and nitpicking what exactly I wanted. This, this poor guy was like 16. He wanted to be a PT. I'm like, okay, we're just gonna give you a crash course on PT things and shoe things. You're gonna enter the PT program later in life, just knowing everything, okay? So yeah, like speaking to Elizabeth's point, like it's so hard to recommend a specific shoe for one person unless I, the PT, if I've been treating this patient for, I don't know, at least four sessions, maybe eight, and I know their foot, like I really know their foot and what it does, how it moves, where its deficits are, and if I know the shoes that well, then I can make a perfect match, like match.com, but otherwise I am not the match doctor. One thing I often hear newer runners tend to ask about is finding a shoe that has enough arch support. That's not necessarily something you're looking for in a running shoe. We talk about in our other lives, finding enough arch support, comfortable mm -hmm. shoes that support our arches. If you're going to be on your feet today, you want enough arch support, but mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a good thing to go into a shoe store and ask for a shoe that has a whole bunch of arch support, especially if you're a person who has high arches. I have high arches. I was always taught throughout the first 29 years of my life before I started running that I needed to support my arches and whatever footwear I was in. However, your arch is again, one of those extraordinarily complex parts of the foot that tend to do a fairly good job of supporting itself. That's why it's called an arch. Yes. I love that. I didn't think of it before. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, it, like speaking to your point, Elizabeth, like uh, this is a whole new territory for me because I am the opposite of you. Too much arch support actually hurts my foot. But for runners with higher arches, remember we talked about how that midfoot changes from flexible to stable to flexible to stable. And if you have too much stuff in the way, of that arch, you're going to have a really unhappy foot because that midfoot will not be able to flow through those changes that you're asking it to do just to run. And this is the difference between a running shoe and a walking shoe, I feel, mm -hmm. because there's different degrees of movement that happen. If I'm picking out a shoe that's going to walk me through a vacation, like I'm taking a vacation, I know I'm going to be walking miles a day. That's going to be a very different, I, I probably want arch support in that shoe. But it's different 
the running and the walking motion are different on our feet and actually do require different shoes for those different purposes. They both require all the fancy words we talked about, but that running is going to require an end range, an available motion at those end ranges of pronation and supination. You're hitting zero to 100 every single time versus walking. You're still pronation and supination are still occurring, but to lesser degrees. You're not taking up the whole bandwidth. Well, that makes sense to me. So I hope it makes sense to people who are listening. So. <laughs> so now we're going to move on and talk about foot strike. And this is an often misunderstood topic when we talk about the different types of foot strike, which one is bad, which one is good. Tell us briefly the different types of foot strike that runners can do when they run. And again, this is not typically a conscious movement. This is you tend to be one type of foot striker or another. Yes. And okay. So another can of worms here. So what I am familiar with is heel strike versus midfoot versus toe strike. So very quickly, quick definitions, heel strike, you are landing heavily, heavily on your heel. Midfoot, you are primarily landing on the middle of your foot. Now think of that Lego, like something that Lego doesn't feel good, that's where you land. Toe strike or toe running, this is actually very natural in a certain movement, we'll, we'll talk about it. So. Heel strike, drawbacks to this, if you are landing very heavily on the very edge of that heel, you are then asking something up the chain to do a different job. You are asking your knee to act as a brake, like putting the brakes on the car. Over time, your knee is gonna start getting cranky and it's gonna start hurting and you're gonna end up with patellofemoral pain, that kneecap pain, because you're asking your knee to do a job it was not intended to do. Your calcaneus, your heel was made for support. It was made to absorb load. So let it do its job. That's why it's a problem. But also you're not allowing your midfoot to absorb the load through that pronation supination we talked about at the beginning. Something else has to absorb that load, AKA your knee, and you're ending up with compensation. But you do need to use your heel when you run. So that doesn't say avoid your heel like it's hot coals or something, right? Going into midfoot, these blend together. That midfoot, you are still landing kind of on the middle of that foot, balls of the feet a little bit, but you are actually starting at the very edge of that heel. You are still rolling heel to toe, but a much less dramatic version of heel strike. And you know you are heel striking, if you look at the bottom of your shoe, and it is just worn away. It's like someone took an exacto knife and just just cut off part of the part of the heel. You know you are pounding the edge of that. You, you got something to change where you're landing. Okay, so going back to that toe strike. Now I have seen runners. I don't know how they do it because I've tried it, but they will prance. That's the best way to describe it. That's how they land as they prance on their toes. Now. If you're doing a 15 minute mile and doing that, I, I think you need to come into the clinic, honey. Let's work together. Let's figure this out. But you look at Usain Bolt, you look at Alice and Felix, my girl, I love her, and they run on their toes, right? That's okay. You naturally get up on the balls of your toes. You are sprinting. That's how you generate power. So toe running is not always bad, but can be used incorrectly. The thing I wanted to ask about is the heel striking 
heel striking is the most bad <laughs> when we overstride when mm-hmm. we when our foot on our foot lands out in front of our center mass when we reach out and typically land on our heel it's very hard to to overstride with a midfoot or a forefoot strike correct so heel striking and overstriding together are like the ultimate no-no. I mean, there are very few hard and fast one size fits all rules in running, but don't overstride is one mm-hmm. of them. It's mm-hmm. never good to overstride when you run. And to speak to this a little bit, again, meet my right foot, meet my right leg. Okay, this is just the problem child of my body. Okay. I only overstride on this one side. I don't it's it's because of that foot, like that valgus collapse I told you about. That silly midfoot if i this is one of those if i'm not cognizantly aware of where my foot is landing underneath my body that is underneath center of mass then i will overstride therefore heel strike therefore cause right knee pain so all of that is fixed when i correct my stride i typically advise runners to start with increasing their cadence as a way to mm-hmm. correct overstriding mm-hmm is there anything else beyond increasing cadence? Cause that doesn't necessarily always correct the problem. Sometimes we do have to go up the chain and talk about strength and mobility and other and gait issues and maybe core work. And there, it's not just as simple as, oh, just increase your cadence and everything will be fixed forever. There can be some other issues going on that are contributing to that overstriding movement. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll, we'll probably get into this a little bit later in the episode, but to speak to it really quickly, um, yes, definitely cadence, definitely go up the chain and look for muscular weakness. Like, do we truly need to strengthen something? Then there's also in the PT world, we're all about uh, neuromotor reprogramming. And so sometimes like for me, could my glutes be stronger? Yes, we'll get into that later. Um, But more importantly, I needed to read teach my body how to run correctly. I still need to do, I need to check my drills. I need to check my strength and treat accordingly in order to even avoid entering that overstriding territory. One of the things people sometimes think is Mm -hmm. that barefoot running will teach them to run correctly. That if they kick their shoes off and go for a barefoot run or it's in Vibrams, five fingers, three millimeters of rubber between you and the ground that you will revert to your natural way of running, just like our ancestors ran and all will be well. And as much as I would love to tell people, I wish I know I'm like, well, if it were that easy, I think we'd all be doing it the very first day that we became runners, but it is not as easy as kicking off your shoes. Yes, of course, doing barefoot drills and running barefoot can be a really great addition Mm -hmm. to your overall training but it's not as simple as just doing some barefoot strides and voila, you've corrected all of your gait issues. Correct. Because like I said, that right foot, that's just how it's made. It's made flat. Me running barefoot, it actually starts to hurt my foot a little bit. If I cognizantly try to land a specific way, I do strengthen my foot by barefoot running for maybe 50 meters, four times. Like it's short. Like if you're going to be barefoot running, this is, we're going way off topic now, but barefoot running needs to be introduced slowly 
over a long period of time, progressively increasing the distance. My idea on barefoot running is it's not bad, but you need to do it correctly and you need to know why. What is your purpose and your intent? Just because just because you're cool and you read the book and you're like, I got some Vibrams. Yeah, I'm in the cool kid club. Okay. But you need to understand why and how of what you're doing. How far do we go in trying to correct issues when we address, when we put a bandaid over the problem instead of finding a solution for the problem in the first place? And it can be much easier in the short term to just slap a shiny bright band-aid over it to get the shoe that allows us to continue to heel strike without any you know pain in the short term eventually we'll catch up with you uh without fixing your mechanics because it does take a lot of effort time dedication to fix the root cause of the problem and it's not always what people want to hear is they want to buy the shoe and have the problem be fixed because mm-hmm. buying a shoe is easier and fun. I love buying yeah, shoes. <laughs> I do too. I have, I have too many shoes. <laughs> so where do you come down on rotating shoes? I always say if you can afford it and you want to, it can be helpful. However, it's not a requirement to rotate your shoes and rotating shoes means having more than one pair of shoes that you regularly wear on your normal run. So not, not just wearing the same pair of shoes over and over again, but you don't need to do that. This is generally where I could use your insight on it because I don't have the experience of rotating shoes. I really don't, but I understand a little bit of the concept that you have just run, let's say 10 miles of one pair of shoes and you have another run scheduled the next day. You need time to recover. Your shoe needs time to recover, right? And so by having that different pair of shoes, you can trade off not only to prolong the use of a shoe, but then there's also the theory of challenging your foot in a different way, right? So if you were transitioning from a higher heel drop to a lower heel drop, hope I said that correctly, you might need to do that gradually, right? You might need your your homeboy over here, the one that you normally run, and then you have the lower heel drop that you do your long runs in the normal shoe. And you do a shorter recovery run in the lower shoe. Because again, kind of like that barefoot running, you have to understand the why, the purpose, and how to use this tool. Because that's what your shoes are, is they are tools. Just from a practical purpose of rotating shoes, if you live in an area that is where the conditions are challenging, either in the summer, your shoes are always soaked in sweat, or if you run in an area where it's snowy or rainy, I mean, having just a dry pair of shoes the next day can be really nice rather than stuffing newspaper in. And I mean, we've all done that. That's where I live. I live with the newspaper. (laughs) So let's talk more about shoes. We're going to talk about carbon plate shoes, the new kid on the block. So carbon plate shoes, very briefly, were introduced as a performance shoe, a race day shoe, where in the midsole of the shoe, sandwiched in between layers of very technologically advanced and expensive foam, is a carbon plate. It improves the energy return while you run and can actually help you run faster than you otherwise would have if you didn't have this fun little spring plate underneath your foot. What's your opinion on carbon plate shoes? Not from like a, is it ethical to run in carbon plate shoes? Is it cheating as like a, yeah. Do you, what, what's your take on that? 
So, oh, man, these things are, they're new, but they're not new. And they're different. There's so many different versions of carbon plate shoe. And I can speak from my experience of the shoes that I have that have carbon plates in them. So I know that the Alpha Fly, if you haven't checked this beast out, it is a beast. It's a weird looking beast. Go check it out online. That way you know what I'm talking about. But on Nike's website, they break down, which is actually really helpful how this is made. And Elizabeth mentioned it sandwiched, which is correct. The reason the Alpha Fly seems different, at least to me, is that it appears that the entire bottom of the shoe, your entire foot, is supported by a carbon plate. Yeah, just a carbon plate there. I, I can't speak as like how I feel about that because I haven't tried it. I think it's an interesting concept, but your foot is already so naturally springy and we spent so much time talking about the midfoot and the ankle and the flexibility and the stability of that foot that, I mean, I guess it's just kind of upping the ante on what your foot naturally does, like, okay. And that seems to be, again, that medial lateral on the inside outside edge of the shoe and also more of the midfoot, right? So it's not covering the entire shoe that I know of. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I personally like it. The carbon plating is so dependent on what the runner likes because my first experience in the um, endorphin was like, I put the shoes on, I laced them up, I stood up and I felt like I was on a seesaw. I felt like I was gonna fall off because I, my brain, my feet, that proprioceptive awareness where my joints are in space was totally off. I felt like I was gonna fall forward. And that's actually a good example of it because the way these carbon plates work is they propelled you forward. Like I actually did research on the shoe afterwards. It is specifically designed to do that, to propel you into the next step. Now the purpose and design of the Alpha Fly carbon plate, I don't know. I have to try it on. I'd have to run in it. Um, it might feel a little bit springier, but is that the carbon plate or the super fancy high-tech gel they put in there? I don't know. And I think the point is that there, I mean, it, it used to be that there was one pair, one pair to rule them all. And now that there are a billion pairs, because every, every shoe company has their own <laughs> version that works slightly differently. Yeah. And, and as a, as a performance shoe, is it worth it? I think if it's, if you can afford it and you can find a pair that is comfortable for you, sure. Why not? I don't <laughs> think you need them. Like it's not a requirement. They're so expensive. I mean, that's the other thing too. They are. And I clearly have no problem spending money. This is my primary hobby and, you know, my job at this point to do, to do running things. But yeah. to drop $200, $250 on a pair of shoes, you know, that's not nothing. And so are they necessary? No. Are they cool? Absolutely. If that shoe works for you and helps you get the results you want, okay, great. The only time that's going to change is if they come in with a new goal. And that's when I hand them off to you, the, the running coach, Elizabeth, like, what do they want to do? Okay. And you walk them through what you walk them through training plan. And if they start having some issues there, then maybe they need to loop back to their physical therapist and we problem solve shoes from there. But otherwise don't fix what ain't broke. I was excited about the carbon plate shoes when they first came out. And I do have two different pairs now for racing. 
everybody was wondering when these came out, is this a daily trainer? Is this a daily trainer? And the, I don't know that the, we are doing a lot of research on it yet, but the recommendation still seems to be, this is not a daily trainer for most runners. You should still not even because if you, even if you can afford it, right? If you had unlimited money to spend on your running shoes, for most people, this is not going to be an appropriate style of daily trainer for them. For racing, yes. For workouts, for sure. But for the nice, easy recovery runs, I mean, I know when I put my endorphin pros on or my vapor flies on, I look down at my feet and like, I want to go fast. The goal of my run for that day is to go slow. It's not going to be helpful for me to be wearing a pair of performance shoes that at my slower paces are not going to be as helpful for my running gait as they are going to be on race day. We talk about impact forces, and I obviously know there's so much to do with the elastic energy return of the running materials, right? The foam, the plate itself stores and returns the energy and allows us to kind of spring forward, but it's still a a hard plate. Do you think that makes a difference when it comes to our landing on that kind of surface when we run? I mean, obviously for races, you know, you do what you got to do to get the fastest time possible. Do you think that matters? Anecdotally, yes. Do I have research articles to back me up? No, not yet. I noticed more impact. It wasn't pain. It was just more hard surface. I knew that I was pounding pavement. I I think that carbon plating, it's hard, right? Like you said, And, and as a preference, as a personal preference for running, I am going more towards the softer landing surfaces and the carbon plating actually helps facilitate that for me because of how it, it adjusts my stride we're getting into the weeds here again but that's that's where i kind of stand on the issue again it's personal preference what are you looking for where do you want to run how do you want to run because there is no one perfect shoe no No, I think it's interesting. And it's almost like an embarrassment of riches now with how many options we have, which is so nice because it's, it's so easy to find something not so easy. It's possible to find (laughs) something that fits you really, really well, but there you have to wade through so many options to get there. And you have to kind of even know what you're talking about to know what you're looking for. Yep. hundred percent. And my shopping for running shoe experience now as a PT is so different compared to shopping for running shoes in high school and I was just doing cross country and I'm like, yeah, I just need shoes. Bye. I'm here. Versus now I'm like, I want this and I want this and I don't want that and I want this. And so picky now. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have time for a couple of uh, reader or listener questions before we get into some ways people can work on strengthening their feet and ankles? Yeah, let's do a couple. Okay, cool. I've got a couple questions about who is best suited to different types of heel drop. So if a runner is looking for a pair of shoes and they've said, I've heard things about zero drop, but I've also heard things about higher drop. How do I know which one is going to be best for me? So I'm answering this from a physical therapy standpoint. Um, I would ask them, have they ever had any plantar fasciitis? any Achilles issue, because that heel drop, the lower that heel drop is, the more your Achilles tendon, the more load 
that has to handle. And don't think that's a weak tendon. That is the strongest tendon in our body. It was made to absorb load and it was made to help generate power. But that doesn't mean you can go from big honking three inch pillow on your Hoka to a Vibram right away. That has a lot of change. Elizabeth already talked about overnight changes, not good. If you are already predisposed to these types of foot issues like plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis, those are conditions where your foot is not able to handle expand there are those tendons that soft tissue isn't able to handle the um, expansion contraction absorbing load and generating power it doesn't quite know how to do that correctly and then you end up with pain then you get cranky and, and all these things happen so i would be very careful about doing the heel drop stuff and slowly working your way into it does that kind of answer the question yeah and also to say that like you don't the goal is not a low heel drop like it's not Correct. it's not the goal to achieve the lowest heel drop. This is not the limbo Olympics. Like if you know, <laughs> if you're happiest in a tw 10 millimeter, stay there, who cares? Like that's what works for you. You don't need to over the no. course of time, work your way down to two or a zero. Like, no, if you are happy where you are, stay there. <laughs> it's okay. Mm -hmm. Don't keep up with the running Joneses, <laughs> run your own run. So this other topic you answered in our live discussion a couple months ago, but I continue to get this type of question on a very, very regular basis. Mm -hmm. And it comes to uh, numbness of the foot or uh, various toes while running or potentially a tingling or burning sensation in their feet while running. This happened, I'm not kidding. I get a couple questions a week about this. And so let's just have it on record in the podcast <laughs> episode. What is happening when this happens? I can verify this. I creep through your stories I'm like, oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. Oh, I know this one, right? And to put it out there right away, I keep planning on making a reel, an Instagram reel about this. I am at Dr. Whitfit. So keep your eyes peeled because I will give you a visual of what I'm going to explain auditorially, okay? So what can be happening is when you get numbness, tingling, burning, stabbing stuff going down in your foot, those are all neurological signs. AKA nerves are saying they're not happy. Okay. Why are they not happy? Because they might be getting squished, right? They're not able to do what they're meant to do, but why? Okay. And I actually had this happen light bulb. Oh, that's what you need to do. Okay. So again, we'll be in a lookout for the reels because it'll make way more sense when you see it visually. Okay. In the summer, it would be interesting to know if your audience, Elizabeth, um, sends you this question more often in the summer versus the winter, right? Because on our summer runs, our feet swell. The question is, how did you tie your shoe? Okay. I deliberately put my shoes on in a very specific way. I am in a, we call it a half kneeling position, like where I'm on one knee and one, one leg is up, or I'm just standing and I bend over. Okay. I pop my shoe on. I lace it up a little bit, but I make sure I am weight bearing into that foot. My weight is on that leg of the, the shoe that I'm tying. Why? Because when you step on that foot, your foot expands, right? Especially my right foot, problem child foot here. It is flat. It is in its most blobbish form when I am standing on that foot and I need my shoe to accommodate it at its 
widest. Okay. So I tie my shoe in a weight bearing position and I don't tie it tightly. I will tie my shoe three times before I go for a run to make sure I get it right. Okay. Because you're, you might be getting those nerve signals because that shoe is one too tight. And then two, your foot is expanding because it's hot and you need to be able to give your foot the appropriate amount of wiggle room. I don't want your foot sliding out. I don't want you getting a heel bump. That's not comfortable. Um, but give your foot that space to breathe. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. When you say it's neurological and there's nerve involvement, all that means is just uh, you have the yeah. nerve, nerve filaments, nerve fibers, nerve cells are so tiny and it doesn't take much to kind of pinch one or impinge upon one. Mm-hmm. And this is also why as you running are going uh, shoe shopping at if you can go later in the day, because your feet do tend to swell over the course of the day. So if you go first thing in the morning when your feet are like at their slimmest, um, <laughs> you know, you might end up with a pair of shoes that is not going to be. And then maybe, especially if you're like a nighttime runner, right? You're not buying yes. shoes. So, you know, just be really cognizant of when you're buying your shoes, how thick are your socks? Do you typically wear mm-hmm. very thick socks? Do you typically wear very thin socks? So all those things can also come into play when it comes to giving your foot enough room to do its thing. And the, the biggest thing I noticed about this is when I finally put my, or bought my sock knees, um, it started with the, what did I say, Triumph, and then also with the Endorphin, the toe box is wider. I'm like, angels are singing from heaven. Thank you, Saucony. Because the way our foot expands is natural. We want our shoes to accommodate our foot. And that wider toe box can be very, very helpful for runners who are constantly running into that uh, foot falling asleep feeling. So last up, what are some exercises that runners can do at home to help them not necessarily specifically correct anything, but to help them create strong feet, strong ankles, strong feet, strong Mm -hmm. ankles, happy feet, happy ankles. Okay. So if you follow me on Instagram, you know, I have rather unconventional exercises and I do that on purpose because it's easy to be the easy PT, but let's take it a step further because we're not just grandma who has Achilles tendonitis, right? You are a runner. You are an athlete. I want you to excel and I want to give you the exercises so you can do that. All right. So I have like two buckets. I don't know why I work in buckets, but I work in buckets. So you have the easy PT bucket and you can Google these, YouTube these, you will find towel scrunches, marble pickups, calf raises with your heels in versus out. And those can be beneficial depending on what we are looking for, right? Some people genuinely do have some weak toe flexors that way, right? So I wouldn't say that's usually the case with runners. So let's go into the crazy Marie bucket now, okay? So kind of overlaps with the normal exercises, right? We're taught heel walks are good for shin splints, which they are, and then tippy toe walks, right? So it's kind of like that calf raise, but I add a little extra to it and I want you to reach up as high as you can to the ceiling, arms overhead, biceps by your ears. I want you in total body elongated, okay? So you're reaching tall because as runners, we need to be able to access that height and engage that core in a different way. Another thing you can do, walk barefoot on variable surfaces in the clinic. You know, like battle ropes, I, ha- I take the battle rope off the little stand thingy and I put it on the ground and I have people walk barefoot on the rope. 
there are, this is a whole other podcast episode, there are different arches in your foot, not just the normal one you see, but there's the, I'm not going to go there, but you get, there's three different arches in your foot. Walking on that rope activates all of those. I realize you don't have a battle rope in your basement. And if you do call me, we're going to hang out. We're going to work out together. Um, but every, almost everyone has a stair or a step in their house. Let's start there. Now I'm going to describe these as best I can. Give me feedback at Dr. Whitford on Instagram if you'd like to see visuals of these and we'll figure something out. But I want you to stand on your step, have walls, a handrail, something to, to hold you steady. I want you to stand on this step so your midfoot is in contact with the step. So half your foot is literally hanging off the edge of the step. I am asking your midfoot to activate. It is holding you upright because that heel is parallel with the step. It is not sinking down. It is not higher up. It is right level with that step. And this is kind of scary for some people. So please hold on to something. This is why I am there with my patient while we are doing this. So if you don't think this is good for you, then please use your, your discretion, okay? Standing on that step with both feet. Now I want you to weight shift. I want you to put 90% of your weight on one foot. Get used to how that feels. Weight shift over the other foot. Just get comfortable living on that midfoot because a lot of people, we sit back on our heels because it's easy. That is an easy way our body cheats, okay? Activate that midfoot. Now you're good with weight shifting. Now stand on one leg. You are, half your foot is still hanging off the edge of the stair. I realize this. Hold on to the wall. Hold on to the handrail. But try to balance there for like 10 seconds on each foot. Right leg, then left leg. And slowly take away that assistance of your hand. So you have like one finger on the wall instead of two fingers. Now tap it. Just tap the wall to steady yourself. Now don't hold on to anything else at all. You're just standing there on that midfoot. That midfoot is supporting your body. It is gripping the stair. You are upright, right? And that's what running is. It's a lot of single leg work. We are training your foot to be able to hold your body upright. And we're training the endurance of those midfoot muscles to do that, okay? Let's take it a step further. I'm a PT. I progress everything, okay? There's so many versions of one exercise. Now, let's go back to both feet on the step. Midfoot's there. Heels are hanging way off the step. I want you to, doesn't matter which leg, I want you to bring one leg up like you're running and bring it back down. It's touching the stair again. Bring it up so that knee driver, bring it back down. Can you do that without holding on to the wall? Hold on to the wall if you need to, but eventually progress to do not hold on to the wall, okay? I'm adding little arm motions. Elizabeth is staring at me because I'm pretending to run over our computer screens, okay? And now try that on the other side, okay? We are making this salient. We're making this matter to runners, okay? Your exercises should support your sport. Let's take this a step further. It keeps, it keeps going. I kid you not. This is, this is how PT works with me. Is we, you're like, oh, we're done. I'm like, no, we're not. You got like three more things to do in this one position, okay? Now let's like that back leg. That back leg's gonna go back behind you. Now this, this foot, this back leg is actually on the floor. You are still on the midfoot. So example, my, my left midfoot is on the stair. My left heel is hanging off the stair. My right leg is on the ground. Okay. So we're achieving that runner's world, magnificent movement pose Elizabeth was talking about. Okay. Now bring that knee up again. You're going to drive that knee. So now we're going through that entire motion of running and my left leg has to keep me stable through the whole thing. Does that kind of make sense, Elizabeth? 
Oh my god, I'm like I, I can't wait to get off this and go find a, my stairs and like to go see okay. see which I, I I think I'm probably in that first or second level that you described. <laughs> That's okay. I just I wanted to demonstrate how far you can go with this and that you don't need a lot to activate that midfoot and create stability, but make it matter to running. You are unbelievable. That is like one of the coolest Woo! things I've ever heard. <laughs> And I think it's really important to note is how the progression works to become as specific as possible to the movement of running. Because 100%. if you were doing another sport you and you were trying to increase your foot strength for the other sport, I'm trying to think of what I mean. What other sports require foot, gymnastics? What else we have? <laughs> dance. Dance. I have a lot of dancers. Yeah. Like dancers need to be able to turn. So we do a lot of turns. In bare feet runners, we we don't look beautiful no, usually doing we, that. We go so in we one just, direction. <laughs> we go in one direction, which is to our detriment. But anywho, that's another topic. <laughs> I have done the towel scrunches and yeah. it's tough. It's tough, but you're doing it and you're thinking, okay, I feel it in my feet, but like how is this supposed to make me a better runner? And I love that you mm -hmm. have this so obviously applicable to runners specific progression of this mm -hmm. one very important isolated movement. Like I'm just so thrilled you are. I wish that we live closer so I could make you my physical therapist. <laughs> like, Come on, hang out. It's going to be great. Let's we'll yeah. hang out for the whole day. We'll do foot things. It's good. <laughs> are there any other things we can do to help support our feet as it relates to up the chain? Because our bodies do not work in isolation. It's not like our feet are on an island. They are connected to our calves, connected to our hamstrings, connected to our butt muscles Correct. all the way up. And we've, we've kind of hit this in bits and pieces um, throughout this whole episode. We talked, we just talked about direct midfoot activation and the ankle being stable while we do all that. And we talked a little about those banded walks to strengthen those glutes. We also touched on um, movement, that neuromotor planning. And I just made a free running guide about this because I realized runners, we don't know we need this, but we do because our sport is so high impact. We need to address mobility, strength, speed in a different way and movement. And that's what this free guide does. So at Dr. Whitfit, the link is right there in my bio. It's free. Please go get it. Please educate yourself and it will challenge how you view running, just like these exercises did that I walked you through that are kind of mind blowing. I tried to instill that in a very digestible way in this download because we need to understand movement rather than fancy shoes. Fancy shoes are nice, but they can be that shiny band-aid that Elizabeth was talking about and we need to have a stronger foundation. And so that is my passion, not only as a physical therapist, but as a runner. And I want to be able to provide that for our running community. I am so excited to read that for myself. And that will definitely okay. be linked in the show notes and I'm, I'll Woo. share it as well. Band-Aids only take us so far. And if we create the strong foundation of whatever it is, and I, I understand sometimes it can be really overwhelming because you it think is. running is a really simple sport. I buy a pair of shoes, I go out the door and voila. It and then, is, it's supposed to be intrinsically easy. Oh my God, it's like the most complicated sport in the world if you really start let yourself think about it. And it can feel yeah. overwhelming to think, yes. I was just told, wait, I need to do this and I need to do work stability and mobilization and neuromuscular drills and like all these things. And it's like, you know what, it's okay, relax. Mm -hmm. 
we don't have to do these all at the same time. Mm. It's and all that about- that is the premise of my guide. That yes. is literally what it is. You haven't even That's seen it and you hit the nail on the head. Like, <laughs> it walks you through, I try to walk you through the definitions of each of these and why you need it and why you care as a runner. And then I have, um, I think I have four circuits in there and you gradually add one circuit at a time. So it can take you a month to gradually integrate all of these. And it's okay to pick and choose what you want and what you don't want. You might feel Elizabeth very confident with the strength routine you have, but don't use mine. If you don't like it, if it doesn't serve you, that's okay. Um, but if you need these movement drills I've thrown in there, then try those out. Now, will you see an immediate, oh my gosh, overnight result, I'm a gazelle. I can run like a Kenyan now. No, I can't do that, okay? There's no magic Kenyan pill to be amazing like Mev, okay? But I can help make you, whoever is listening, uh, Mark, Jessica, Timothy, Sarah, whoever, I can make you the runner you are meant to be. I can just upgrade your movement. And that that's the role of the guide. And it's just about becoming the best runner you yes. can be. Yes. Period. Oh. End of story. Drop mic. Bye. We're out. Bye. We're done. The end. Actually, <laughs> we are done because <laughs> I mean, at some point, at some point we do have to say goodbye. I feel like I learned so much. You have such a wonderful way of explaining, like you Thank said, you. the foot, which is so complicated. I remember even going through just my, my running certification class and like, it was so mind blowing to me too, just a little bit of knowledge, which I know is like literally the dumbed down version of foot anatomy and physiology. But I was like, oh, the tallow joint. I do feel stiffness there sometimes. Yes. It was just like, the more you know, the better off you'll be. Because then if you can name it, you can start addressing it. If you know the specific source of where this issue is arising, rather than saying like, oh, my foot hurts. If you can say, I'm feeling stiffness in my metatarsal, like whatever it is. If you, mm -hmm. As specific as you can get, then you can get the most specific plan to address and fix the thing mm -hmm. that's going wrong. Mm -hmm. And if I could add like one more plug in here, because I know Elizabeth and I find feet fascinating, complicated, but fascinating. I know these exercises were helpful. Um, I have been toying around with the idea of creating a foot guide. Like I have a hip mobility guide, which that's a whole other podcast of why we need to give love to our hips. But if, if there is truly a need if there are voices in the running community that say hey i need this tool let me know please reach out to me please tell me and i will create this guide for you because i want you to succeed so tell us where we can find you i know your instagram your website yes. you have a blog you yes. have not only um the guide you were just talking about um, but you also have a like a couch to 5k style plan that is available Correct. it's free and it, it also mm -hmm. includes not just the running but also some strength and movement exercises as well mm -hmm. where can we find all Correct. of that obviously it'll be linked in the show notes but where can people go find and follow yes. you so easy if you go to instagram i am at dr whitfit so dr period wit w-h-i-t-t -T, dot fit dr whitfit i always have a link in my profile to my website, which is drwhitfit.com. No periods, <laughs> all one word, drwhitfit.com. Okay. And you click on that link, you, you will find everything there. It's very easy. I made it simple. Work smarter, not harder. Amen. Yes. Just, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing to do, especially, no. and I feel like you can totally correct me on here. 
the physical therapy and doing these types of exercises, we're not doing these to failure. This is not strong lifts. This is not pump up the volume here. Physical therapy is deceptively challenging in what it accomplishes. It is. I will have a patient do the, especially my 16 year old guys like, I'm going to do 12 reps. I'm like, please only do eight. Like, please. Like it's because we have more to do. And these exercises I've given, they're like 10 second reps. They're too fatigued. They are what you can tolerate. Do maybe five rounds on each side. They're just quick, activate, move on, live your life exercises. Well, I'm going to say until next time, because of course there's going to be a next time. So until next time, Marie, (laughs) this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. I always have a blast. So thank you for letting me speak to your audience because they are wonderful people. They are. All of you listeners are wonderful people. (laughs) Wonderful people. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find me on Instagram at runningexplained or at my website, runningexplained.co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.